Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast episode where I am absolutely delighted to be inviting back Dr. Dr. Kent Sasse, MD, Adjunct Assistant Professor, University of Nevada School of Medicine. Welcome back, Dr. Sasse. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, on our first episode, uh, Dr. Sasse, we started talking about type 2 diabetes and obviously we you know, we kind of semi-deep dive into, into my experience, but we yeah. didn't really go down much into uh, a subject that I believe is very close to your heart and certainly your expertise in terms of metabolic surgery. Yeah, metabolic surgery has really uh, has really evolved and improved a lot in the last uh, 40 years. Um, you know, it started uh, as... Uh, weight loss surgery or bariatric surgery, and we now use those terms somewhat interchangeably. But the interesting thing was in the early years of it, um, when the surgeons were trying to achieve weight loss for people struggling with obesity, they found uh, right away that a high fraction of people had a very immediate reversal of their type 2 diabetes. So it was a kind of a interesting, curious finding that those two things were so closely linked. And since that time, we've um, just seen more and more um, evidence and also a little better understanding of how that takes place. Um, We have a long way to go, but we're getting a little better handle on why the little changes that we do in the stomach or in the GI tract reverse that type 2 diabetes and let our bodies uh, regain control of the blood sugar. So it's kind of an interesting, just an interesting field. Hmm. So what's the difference then between managing diabetes with medication and reversing the diabetes completely with surgery? Well, there's a huge difference. And um, so when we manage the blood sugar with medication, we really are doing just that. We're, we're managing the number. And I, I sort of use air quotes there. We're, we're managing a, a number. And, but it's not... Um, It's not doing anything to reverse the underlying process. So when you were able to make some really uh, profound and important life changes, what happened in your body was a total reversal of the type 2 diabetes process. So you changed what you were eating, you you stopped uh, drinking, and you were probably being more physically active, and that resulted in some profound changes at the metabolic level, and there was no longer a need to control the blood sugar with medications. Well, for most people with type 2 diabetes, even if they make a pretty heavy-duty change in their lifestyle and what they're eating and drinking, they're just not, it's just not enough for them to reverse the type 2 diabetes completely. And so they sort of have two choices, and most uh, doctors and most you know, uh, well, well-intentioned uh, practitioners will 
begin prescribing medications that will control the blood sugar. And it's kind of a necessary evil in a way because we do need to keep the blood sugar somewhat in check so that we don't get wildly out of control and wind up in the hospital. Um, but really it's not doing anything to get at those root causes. Um, whereas the surgery, uh, we now know by changing some of the physiology of the stomach tissue itself, it makes some hormonal changes that are regulating the uh, the cells and the insulin sensitivity in the body and and all of a sudden that blood sugar normalizes and we don't need those medicines at all. So it's very akin. Uh, some of the processes are the same as those that you and, and people like you were able to do with, with changing their life. Um, and we've got a long way to go to really understand them, but we do know that those are very uh, similar things that take place. They really hit the kind of underlying cause of the type 2 diabetes. Whereas the drugs are just controlling the blood sugar number, does that does that make sense? Yes, it does. I think the uh, the metaphor for me, Doctor Sass, if I if I hear you correct, that we're kind of managing, we're almost papering over the cracks because we're not going down to the root cause. We're kind of we're managing it. It's okay, but we're not deep diving and and, and really getting to the root of the problem. Is is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and it's really become. Um, more evident now, just in these last couple of years, there've been some very large studies, one in the UK actually, that um, looked at very large numbers of people who were being properly treated, and I use the word properly kind of based on traditional guidelines with medications to manage that blood sugar number. But what these studies showed was that over the next five to eight years, those people still had a very substantial risk of having heart attacks, of having strokes, of having kidney failure or nephropathy, as we call it. All the things that diabetes is causing in the background were continuing to accrue. Whereas when they had a direct comparison group of people who underwent metabolic surgery, um, the people who had surgery had far less events, all of those diabetes-related complications were far less likely to occur. So it's really highlighted the difference between managing the number versus hitting those root cause, uh, cellular causes of the type 2 diabetes. And it's forced a real kind of change in, in thinking among a lot of people who have spent their careers treating diabetes. Most of them are definitely not surgeons, <laughs> and they've uh, thought of this as a disease that you you certainly, you know, recommend diet and exercise and smoke, don't smoke and, and do your best. But then the real mainstay of treatment has always been medications. And I dare say kind of a continuing escalation of medications. And now to come along and say, well, we got to change that now. Our thinking has to be to either th through lifestyle change or through lifestyle change plus surgery, we must be looking at trying to cure or reverse the underlying process. And that's sort of a new way of thinking. Um, and that's what I mainly am, am trying to sort of emphasize as I, uh, you know, write and speak and kind of raise awareness about this. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I totally embrace and understand those two, uh, those two pertinent factors, Dr. Sasse. Um, and I can't remember in all honesty, because um, obviously we was quite immersed in the moment on our last um, conversation, but to what part or to what degree do you feel that mindset plays um, in this, this, dare I call it a curing process? And one would say, well, the fact that you've changed your diet, you've changed your exercise, you've stopped this, you've done that, 
you know that is in, you know that is kind of encompassing mindset but i'm on about that actually that more all embracing determination that real radical um well mindset that actually no i will not have this anymore in my life you know is 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 there is there a place for that in your opinion i do i i definitely do think so um there are very memorable people. I've been lucky enough to be able to uh, be a treating physician and surgeon for some people in my career. And um, absolutely, I think a big key to their great success was a change in mindset and a real kind of total investment in um, seeing this be successful. Um, and I, I, I think that uh, I, I th I'm, a, a particular gentleman comes to mind. Um, this is a, a man named Roy, who is a security guard at one of the hospitals where I practice and make my rounds. And uh, he came to see me uh, about 12 years ago, um, taking not just oral medications, but also injectable insulin for his type two diabetes. And he's a security guard and he's the sort of guy you would see sitting, you know, at the monitors that the security guys look at and pretty sedentary and, um, you know, like a lot of us sort of looking for the fix. And so, you know, I did my bit, my best to talk about uh, embracing exercise and we do spend quite a bit of time on it. Um, but I also know the data is the data and, and that his best shot of adding years to his life was with me proceeding with surgery. So we worked on all fronts, but we did our surgery, which, you know, as I always say, my 45 minutes or hour contribution is not the, that's not the biggest piece of it. It does unlock some metabolic machinery, but his piece has really been profound. So in those ensuing years, he really did embrace uh, all of the things that we would like for people to do. Um, and now he's the kind of security guard where I see him and he is walking the property all the time. I, you know, you never see him sitting. He's got his uh, monitoring device on uh, and he's usually doing more than 15,000 steps a day, he tells me. So quite a good, uh, good effort there. And it's been, uh, as I say, about 12 years and he's been off of not only the insulin, but also all of the medications for all those years, and it's not come back yet. Um, so, you know, I think he's been very successful. And, you know, do I take credit for it? No, you know, I, I take a tiny little percent of it. I think the big work has been done on his part. What I don't know how to do <laughs> is make all of our patients have that same <laughs> transformational <laughs> investment and mindset. So, uh, I'm hoping maybe uh, from this conversation, I'll I'll take away a few more pearls like I took notes last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting, and, and I'm very mindful and respectful, Dr. Sassy, not to um, to sort of stray from too far from the the metabolic surgery path, because I think it's absolutely invaluable work that you're doing. I really do. Um, but I would just kind of like to to sort of come in and and say that you know. Uh, you very graciously kind of pointed in my direction there, and I thank you for that compliment. Um, but it's got me thinking, um, as as you know, with conversations and, and and challenges in life, and this week has, for one reason or another, been extremely challenging. Um, and for me, that's a metaphor, a reason to grow. And 
And so just to put that in the context of, you know, how further insights, I've sent a proposal to a, a fellow American of yours and we're looking to do some um, some life-changing work together. And um, the title, three simple words, let's all cry. And what I mean by that is it's this whole mindset shift. And I'm not just talking about, obviously, the specific context here of type 2 diabetes, but I'm on about a whole approach, a radical approach to life. Because what I've been doing over a long, long time now, Dr. Sassy, is trying to find that that hook, if you will, those those immortal words that can, you know, can reach out to people from a mind, you know, from a mindset perspective and say, you know, there is hope. There is hope. Mm. No matter what, what yesterday was, that doesn't define you. It might be challenging, but we can move on from it. And so let's all cry for me is a metaphor for all these stereotypes and all these labels and all this stuff that prevails within our our path of you know progression in life for all of us. And we're all different, of course. But what I mean by that is let's all cry. It's like breaking down these walls and, and understanding at a real, real basic human level that, do you know what? I don't care how big and tough we are. We we need love and we need compassion and we need understanding. And and I think I flirted with this slightly last week around, you know, this this need to be heard. This mm. need to be heard and know that somebody actually really does care. And I'll tell you honestly, that that alone is so underestimated because, you know, if, if I have a, a sort of pound or a dollar for every time, well, yeah, but that Paul, that's okay, but life gets in the way. Well, do you know what? Don't let life get in the way. What, what's the priority here? What's more precious than the gift of life? Tell me. Because hmm. if I've, you know, spent nearly 60 years on this planet and I've got it wrong, then I'll throw my hands up. But I don't think I have. So, But I want you to tell me what's more precious than that gift of life that's worth preserving, that's worth fighting for. So why don't you? And I know by peeling the layers back, and, you know, I speak to young young people, uh, Dr. Sassy, that's up alleyways and, you know, injecting with drugs and all that kind of, you know, real desperate stuff. And um, I've had a conversation with somebody recently about this shame from a rape that happened years ago. And it's like, well, you know... If it's like an abscess or a boil, let's get that badness out. And, and you know, I know that makes it sound oversimplified. And, and it's not as simple as that because obviously there's a lot of techniques, a lot of strategies that go with that. But it, it's real basic. And this is why I brought in the mindset question. It's, it's just that reassurance of knowing that somebody actually, and I'm not sort of saying just the medical profession because obviously people like yourself are, you know, immensely dedicated to you know professionals that that, that's not up for question but it's that kind of that literally that arm around the shoulder that cup of coffee that looking into somebody's eyes that say do you know what i'm with you i'm with you yeah i yeah i couldn't agree more i think uh i think it's incredibly valuable and um of course puts us all in the same plane i think we all feel that we're all here uh battling through this life and um i think it's a you know it's a great privilege to be able to um try to help uh people and try to help them achieve a little greater sense of health and uh restore some of that activity that they can do 
Um, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think a lot of times the, I mean, it's no great news to anyone <laughs> that the medical profession doesn't always <laughs> put its best foot forward. Uh, you know, doctors and nurses and caregivers get busy and they're focused on uh, whatever elements they think are the important things they have to get done and sometimes forget to put that armor on the shoulder and really um, connect and understand uh, that this is a human being. And so it serves as a, a valuable and, and absolutely worthy reminder, I think. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, not sort of um, getting too much on the, on the sort of politics soapbox, um, but, you know, I think there's this, this culture now, um, and I can't remember, Dr. Sasser, whether I referred to this last week about, you know, one of my personal very strong beliefs about we're not, as individuals, we're not broken. We don't need fixing as individuals. I firm, we're not robots. We're not machines. Cars break. <laughs> robots break. But we're people. We don't. I think we lose our way from time to time, emotionally, particularly, um, mentally, yes. But nothing that, and I firmly believe this, and I've had sort of, you know, some quite in-depth conversations with people from the psychiatric profession about the what I believe is the simplicity. And I've had first-hand knowledge and workings of this, both from a personal level and from people around me where I, I do stand up and challenge people within so-called uh, superior positions. And what I say is, you know, the game of life that we play is very simple. I'm not decrying or undermining at all the work that you guys do. But you know what? Also, don't get so far up there that you think you know it all because the reality mm -hmm. is you do not. So be humble enough to understand that people below you in the so-called food chain, they also understand because they know their bodies better than you. Um, you know, and that's been one of the challenges I'm undergoing this week on a kind of more personal level. But and, oh, yeah. so I think it's this whole holistic approach to 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 life, to medicine. Mm -hmm. To health, particularly, it's you know, no one size fits all because we're totally unique as individuals, and that's why I'm absolutely focused now on this crusade to say to the world, and I do mean the world, okay. So, as individuals, we might not be broken, but I believe this world is broken as a collective and it does need fixing individually, we're not, and that's a bit of a sort of paradox, I know. But so what's, okay, so what's what's the bridge then between that? How, how do we fix this? And I personally feel now there's got to be this whole re-education, and I don't really like the word education, but there's got to be this, this kind of real awakening about, and going back to basics, and understanding the rudimentaries of life and what we are as human beings, and actually this whole fear versus love dichotomy that we've absolutely lost focus on. You know, I think love nowadays for me, Dr. Sassy, has become something that as a massive generalization, people can relate to in songs. Oh, what's this week's number one? Oh, it's talking about love or some reference. Well, no, it's 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 the very stapleness, I believe, of of why we exist. And we yeah. I think as you know, and it's a massive generalization, and obviously in the space of a you know a few minutes, relatively speaking, you know, we're only going to be able to not even skim the surface. But I think there's this whole 
for simplicity, this re-education of cultures uh, across the globe about saying, you know, certainly in the UK and I know in America, because I speak to a lot of um, American guests on my, on my podcast from from wide um, socioeconomic spectrums. And, and so I'm fully aware of the, you know, the, you know, we've got the knife culture over in the UK. You've got the gun culture. Young life's being mercilessly wasted for no, for no reason other than yeah, fear. Yeah, yeah. People pull a trigger or pull a knife because they're fearful. And I know because I was that warrior and I still speak to these fearful young, young kids uh, in the UK. And it's like, yeah, but we've got to get in first, Paul, because it's kill or be killed. It's the rule of the jungle. They've learned that way of being, that behavior has been learned. And so we, as I believe now, as, as professionals, we've got a duty. Um, and I include parents, I include adults. There's a collective responsibility to redress the balance in the world because it's, it's just alarming what, what's happening now. So I'm, I'm sort of apologies for that, Dr. Sassy. I went off at a real tangent there, so I didn't really mean to do that, but I... Um, hopefully, to some degree, um, that may, may you know, kind of um, built on your very, um, very flattering comment. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, one thing you said in there really, um, especially resonated, um, and that is uh, that a lot of times surgeons, um, there is a, a quite a bit of analogy with uh, the car being brought in and um, a lot of us, uh, well, I've had a problem with my shoulder and I, you know, went to go see a colleague who's an orthopedic surgeon. And, and I must say, I very much was hoping that he could fix me <laughs> in the sense of taking my machine into the shop and having him uh, solve it and uh, was happy not to need surgery, but also a little disappointed that there wasn't a quick fix. Um, but one thing that really resonated was, um, you know, this uh, area of surgery that I've found myself in was not really where I, I expected to be in my training. Um, and just through circumstances and kind of the way science and diabetes epidemic has evolved, uh, you know, here we are today. But it's really uh, a, a microcosm of, of what you're describing there about approaching the problem from all angles because um, unlike let's say my shoulder had there been a, a I don't know a torn tendon or a broken bone that you know my colleague would literally go in there and repair um, this is an area where there's so much interaction between um, what we do as as the person struggling with diabetes uh, more so probably than, you know, my, a, a broken bone. Uh, here, you know, everything we do during the day, what physical activity we choose to do, what foods and drinks we choose to put into our bodies um, has such a great uh, impact on this problem of type 2 diabetes. So even though as the surgeon, I'm kind of coming in and, and making this uh, strange little change on the inside that that kind of changes some of those metabolic regulation hormones, really uh, more so than anywhere else in surgery, what the person does with it after that plays a tremendous role. So we find ourselves kind of trying to be coach and cheerleader and partner in this battle <laughs> more so than uh, in some of the other things I do where we're more like the repair mechanic, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, but I like it. I think it's a, it's a really gratifying 
really gratifying area. It may be more challenging in some ways, but um, it's a really gratifying area. And certainly, I think if we could get better uh, at all pieces of it, uh, if I could be a better coach and better cheerleader and better partner, um, I, I think we could make more impact and, and help more people live longer uh, and healthier lives. I know we're getting better at the surgery part of it, and I think we still have a long way to go at some of those other aspects of it. It's 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 hard. We're, we're not trained to do it well, and um, we probably have a long way to go to really maximize that piece of it. And, and that's an interesting um, platform for me, Dr. Sassi, to say that the the inspiration I glean from those insights from fellow professionals like yourself around, you know, what is in a general term, you know, making the world a better place because that is our vocation. That's that's what we kind of sign up for. But within that, that's been my kind of inspiration to to assemble these 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 game changers around the globe to say, look, you know, that that humble honesty of look, I haven't got all the answers. I haven't. I've got some answers and maybe by forming this collective, this global collective, well, I've got a piece of the jigsaw and maybe he or she's got another piece and maybe he or she's got another piece and between us, we can assemble this beautiful, more realistic picture. And that's mm-hmm. my vision that, you know, what, what at the moment, at this moment in time stands as, uh, stands as um, let's all cry and, and the metaphor that I've already used it's this collectiveness and not just in terms of expertise and the geography where we represent you know you and I are a great example of you know the UK and the the, the US having a um, you know a representative conversation but that's only two part okay two major parts of the world but not the only two obviously so it's about bringing together these people from all walks of life there's no you know, when we talk about equality, for me, th- this group, this gathering will be one that is equality. And it won't be based on how much money you've got or how much fame or any of that. It will be based on that compassion and that love. And yes, in some uh, instances, sort of technical knowledge and expertise, it has to be for us to be able to lift people up with inspirational insights about how things may get better. So that's kind, this is why I love this kind of conversation uh, Dr Sass with people like yourself because I know that you know between us to quote the great uh, Dr Covey we will leave the world a better place yeah um, nice nothing nothing could replace that in terms of uh, aspiration I think that's the most uh, profound calling and most rewarding thing and so just keep working at it absolutely so um what, what, what's the risks, recovery time, and, and things everyone should know about metabolic surgery to treat and reverse um, type 2 diabetes? Well, the risks have uh, gotten quite a bit lower uh, over the years. Um, today, uh, you know, when we're doing our surgery, um, I can generally say what we're doing is the safest lowest risk surgery on the on the big operating board you know we may have 25 operating rooms going that day in the big hospital and ours is uh almost without fail the one with the lowest statistical risks associated with it um and it's just because the uh well for there's several reasons but the the nature of the procedure being done on the inside um has 
gradually become less and less invasive. So we're not doing quite as much as we used to do. Um, we don't typically do the bypass type rerouting procedures that we used to do uh, much more. Um, today, the main procedure that's done both in the UK and in the US and around most of the most of the world where metabolic surgery is taking place is um, is quite a bit simpler. We're really just trimming off some of the outer tissue itself from the stomach. And so it's just a lot easier tolerated by the person and you just don't have very many many complications. And then also, of course, you know, surgery changed from big open incisions uh, to these small little, little cuts, these little uh, uh, five and 10 and 15 millimeter incisions. So you wind up with a few band-aids as opposed to a big incision to heal. Um, so risk-wise today, the, uh, you know, we use uh, kind of jarring terms like 30-day mortality risk, which no one likes to think about that too much, but it's on the order of about one in a thousand in the biggest large databases like the ones we report to. And metabolic surgery is a little bit ahead of a lot of the surgery that's done, you know, um, every day in other parts of the hospital or other parts of the operating room. Metabolic surgery has gotten quite organized. So most centers around the world, um, and certainly in the developed world, are mo mostly forced now to report all of their cases and all of their outcomes data. You'd think that this goes on for all kinds of surgery, but uh, but that's not true. You know, um, it's it takes a big effort at kind of getting everyone on on board and willing to kind of share their data. And there's a, as you can imagine, a lot of administrative pieces to something like that. But the kind of the community of of metabolic surgery has been very. Um, it's been very forward thinking in uh, setting up these large databases and <laughs> kind of twisting the arms of the surgeons and the hospitals to get them on board. So the vast majority of the centers and surgeons around the country and, and in Europe as well and in the UK um, are having to report this data all the time. So we really have a really good handle on the complications and risks. So I can speak with some certainty about that one in a thousand kind of 30 day mortality risk which is quite a bit lower than, as I say, most other kind of surgery people are having done, you know, their knee and hip operations or their what have you. Um, there, there are some risks um, that are a little less serious, of course, uh, things that could require going back into surgery or, uh, or having a little mm, problems with the stomach, uh, not wanting to cooperate and having an upset stomach. And then there's a few uh, sort of subtle uh, t trends toward uh, reducing one's iron absorption and B12 absorption, but they're very mild compared to the kinds of bypass procedures that were uh, more invasive in the past. Um, so, you know, in the old days, I used to have patients who had to be referred downstairs to the infusion center to receive um, B12 infusions or iron infusions because we just couldn't uh, find a way for them to absorb it naturally. But in the last 10 years, we just don't have that anymore. You know, it might be, I don't know, once or twice in the last 10 years, whereas that used to be an every week occurrence. So kind of on all these different levels, you know, you just see the risks have been mostly uh, drained out of the equation. Um, the, the recovery time is, is pretty fast. Um, 
at our center, we keep everyone in the hospital overnight. Um, that's kind of been a, a decision of mine. And uh, there are places that if everything goes smoothly and the person feels up to it, they can go home that very same day. And I don't argue that that works out mostly. Uh, the problem is sometimes um, people get home and, you know, they felt pretty good initially, but then they get home and they have an upset stomach. And if they have nausea and vomiting or things are hurting, I just, I hate for them to, um, it's, it's very stressful to be in that situation at home and have to come back into the hospital. And I don't know about in the UK, but over here, that whole process is a bit of a fiasco because there's no easy, simple way to just give them back their hospital bed. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. now <laughs> occupied by someone else and they have to go through the emergency room and you know, it's a whole big rigmarole and everybody hates it. So we made the decision to keep everyone overnight. That way they're uh, feeling up to it and drinking liquids and walking and they're ready to go and we're all confident. So we don't have many people turn around and come back. And then usually by the end of two weeks, everybody's back at their office type jobs and most activities you might need a little extra time if you have a really physical job you know if if you have to work a 12-hour shift unloading freight you know you might need four weeks off but for most people uh you know they just they don't need a lot of downtime um, so we've even had people come back to work within three or four days uh, just it's just not a highly invasive procedure like it used to be so um, you know it's like a lot of things in medicine and surgery, you know, it just kind of keeps evolving, keeps getting a little bit better. Hmm. So metabolic surgery then, um, and the fact that it, it reverses type 2 diabetes in most people, what does that tell us, Dr. Sassy, about how type 2 diabetes occurs in the first place? Well, that is really, uh, that's where we really need to focus our efforts, I think. Um, the, so one of the other hats I wear when I'm not in the operating room or in the clinic seeing patients is working with a great group of scientists in the uh, Department of Physiology. And uh, our lab, like like some labs around the world, are, are trying to answer that question because um, metabolic surgery is one of those little coincidences. Uh, you know, we thought we were shrinking the stomach or, you know, we thought we were cutting part of the stomach down and restricting it and putting bands around the stomach and, and then bypassing some of the intestine where we absorb nutrients. And our theories were all wrong. We thought that people were losing weight because they couldn't get enough food in from a smaller capacity stomach or that they were not absorbing the calories and they, we were sneaking them out past the system and out the rectum, you know, that this is how we were losing weight. But in recent years, I think those theories are all turned upside down and uh, most of us don't think those are right at all. What we really think is happening is that the surgery is affecting uh, some of the important centers of the body that, that make and regulate um, the hormones that control metabolism and hunger and also blood sugar. Um, and that's why we feel less hungry and and then our metabolism has sped up a bit to utilize more of the fuels. And then some other processes are taking place that are as yet still hidden to us, but that seem to involve burning of fat and reducing blood sugar and allowing our body weight to reset at a lower weight. So this kind of coincidence of surgery, we thought we were doing one thing, a kind of a crude shrinking of the stomach, and we ended up 
stumbling upon some mechanisms of how the body controls and regulates body weight and metabolism. But the truth is we really don't have a good handle on it yet. Um, we're kind of in the early days, I think, of um, understanding those uh, regulatory pathways in a, in a detailed way. Um, there are quite a few um, hormones. Uh, these are what you might refer to as bioactive proteins or um, bioactive um, markers. Uh, and we've been able to identify quite a few of them, some of which weren't known before at all. And we can see that they go up or they go down in response to obesity or in response to weight loss or in response to exercise, for example. So we, we're starting to get a handle on uh, what the puzzle pieces are. Um, but I don't think we, we, we don't, we haven't even identified all the puzzle pieces. And then we're quite a bit away from being able to really put them all together in a, in a clear path that, that fully makes sense and would give us the real victory, which is uh, to allow us to mimic the surgery with some pharmaceutical medications. I hear I've been talking all this <laughs> negatively about drugs and medications all this time, <laughs> but, if, but if we could come up with one that really kind of got at this root cause instead of just controlling the blood sugar number, well, then we would really have something because we could reduce those heart risks further. We could mimic the surgery, you know, without having to do surgery. So that's one of the big uh, endeavors um, that uh, our lab and a lot of labs are working on right now. Uh, it's just that, you know, I don't think we're in any sort of place to predict an imminent breakthrough. Uh, unfortunately, we're still in the early phases. Do, um, do professionals such as yourself, Dr. Dr. Sasser, do you kind of ever have that conversation with patients and, and ask a question? Because nobody ever asked it of me in the UK, and it amazes me that they didn't. But nobody ever said to me, do you think you can cure this or do you want to cure this? Nobody mm -hmm. asked me these, those two basic, basic but very powerful questions, and I find that yeah. amazing. I can't speak for the States. <laughs> that that is uh it's a whole different way of thinking about this um i think i mean by the time people have come to see me many times the the patient the person who's coming to see me they're three steps ahead of their doctor honestly mm. um they've kind of heard that maybe this is possible to beat this problem and to cure it or reverse it and and then usually um, we try to uh, invite people to come in and uh, attend a seminar that I'll give uh, every once or twice a month uh, because there's a lot of information to transmit and it, I just don't think it's the same as just a, a kind of a simple doctor's visit. So uh, in the seminar, we spend an hour and we kind of talk a little bit about the underlying science and the physiology of diabetes and how what you do matters, your exercise, your diet, your habits, whether you smoke. And, and then we describe what this surgery does and how it's one piece of a, a treatment that involves all of those elements. And so uh, then the person will follow up with me and we'll have a more kind of traditional consultation in the office. And by then, most people have, uh, they've come a long way. And so I would say quite frequently, maybe I don't know, 50% of the time, the person with diabetes will tell me, they'll say, hey, I've been treating this now for six years and 
you know, my doctor never even brought this up. I, I, I don't know why no one's even told me that I could cure this problem, but, mm. but that's what I want. I want this problem completely gone, cured. Tell me what we got to do. And, and that's refreshing and nice. And then we set out on that journey together. And uh, so that's pretty gratifying, you know, especially because most of the time we're able to do it. Um, we're able to be successful. So it's pretty great. But no, not everyone. <laughs> and far, far, far too many people, I think, are uh, living with that type 2 diabetes. And they may be getting some sort of vague suggestions to, uh, you know, hey, cut down on your sweets and try to exercise a little bit more. But I don't think they're really being shaken uh, <laughs> with the seriousness and told that, this would be really important and helpful and you've got to make a real change to do it. And then it might even take surgery to reverse it, but you should be aiming for that instead of aiming for such a halfway measure. I totally agree with that. And that's why when I'm sort of working with, with clients, I use confrontational languages and metaphors to say um, things like, would you, would you let, are you a family person? Yeah, we have got kids, you know, would you let anybody attack your child? Would you let anybody abuse your child? And I'll use this graphic language deliberately to find out what how deep that, that leverage is. Of course I wouldn't. And of course, you know, quite rightly, they'll get on the defense. Well, what are you asking me questions like that for? <laughs> well, the reason I'm asking you that question is quite simple. You wouldn't quite rightly let anybody attack your child. You'd protect and love that child. Will you go to the same lengths with yourself in your own health care? Will mm -hmm. you, you know, and I know I used the language last week, Dr. Sassy, about going to war. Would you go to war for your child, quite rightly? But would you go to war? Oh, it's not important about me. And therein lieth the problem because, oh, I'll go and see my doctor. It's not my responsibility. It's that they'll sort it all out. They're the, they're the professionals. And I think, you know, from that root cause of that whole mindset of, well, no, it's not. The doctors are there to help, but it's not their it's not their cause. They haven't caused it. It's not their illness. It's yours. What are you gonna do? And it's about sort of almost, you know, in the most respectful and sometimes sensitive way, depending on what the, you know, that's about obviously knowing your client, but reaching out and, and using language that they can, you know, that will act as leverage to say, boy, I really do need because if I don't, then it's not just about me. You know, and I do plant this kind of this link between the child being attacked and the inner child being attacked. And, and I find that that kind of works to create this semblance of responsibility because most, you know, certainly in the UK, and, uh, you know, a lot of the people I talk to don't say it's like, well, it don't matter about me. My role is for my kids. Well, without you being the best you can be, whether it's diabetes, it doesn't matter what it is you're no good to anybody else. If you haven't got that emotional currency to give or that physical currency or that mental currency, you've got nothing. And, yeah, and you right. know, I find that's great leverage to, you know, it certainly contributes. I'm not saying it's the cure all, but it's certainly, yeah. it's like we spoke earlier on and I think we agree. You know, we put a little bit of this in, a little bit of that, a little bit of the other. We mix it up and then hopefully we've got a recipe for success. Hopefully. Right, right. <laughs> so um, no, I think that'd be that's very powerful. I think you're right. Yeah, I, um, I do find uh, you know quite a few people. Of course, um, of course, we all 
you know, feel tremendous uh, desire to do right by our children. And uh, so I do find quite a few people who are seeing themselves uh, decline in their parenting abilities because of type 2 diabetes and, and also because of obesity, which is so uh, closely linked to the diabetes. Um, so that is a common thread. You know, sometimes people will say, I'm, I'm really here because I need to be a better mom or a better dad or, you know, better parent to my kids. And um, I usually stop there and I think, um, well, good for you. You know, let's make that happen. But, <laughs> but uh, that may be just uh, one, one place to step forward and also get them thinking about themselves as being equally important and uh, deserving of that effort to live and thrive. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think it's very simple. It has to be because, you know, in a simple, almost cliche, like we can't give what we don't have. You know, how can sure. we give that positive love, that that resource, whether that's energy, it doesn't matter what it is, our time, our quality time. How can we give it if, we've, if, if we're fighting our own battle inside, whatever that may be? Right, right. Um, yeah. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it's a fascinating, uh, you know, just obviously we focused on diabetes or well, type 2 diabetes in our first uh, episode conversation, Dr. Sass. We've dug down a little bit more about uh, into the specifics and only flirted with it a little bit more around the metabolic surgery. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we, we could talk for hours and days and then we could go on and on around the psychology and this and that and the other. And, uh, you know, it is a, a fascinating um, a fascinating discussion. Um, but obviously time as as is the way um catches up that misnomer i tell so many people time's a misnomer oh if, if if time's a misnomer paul why do you why do you cut your podcast after about 50 minutes or an hour <laughs> okay I'll, I'll do a podcast that on that one day <laughs> um, but i want you to have the last word dr sassy and, and sum up or, or whatever is you feel appropriate to bring this fascinating topic of type 2 diabetes or metabolic surgery or whatever you feel that real you know we've used that let's go to war that graphic language that real sort of knockout punch if there is just one statement I, I don't know but I want you to have that last word whatever that may be yes thank you well thank you very much for this uh, conversation and opportunity I do think there is a, a kind of a key point and we've we've talked about it you talked about it in your personal experience a bit and but just to generalize it widely to the million tens of millions of people in our country and your country that are battling type 2 diabetes right now i think we are on the verge of a real shift in thinking about how to treat it and it involves dislodging some old thinking about let's just control the number. We've got all these medicines backed by all these very well-funded and ubiquitous pharmaceutical companies and ads and television commercials and everything. We need to dislodge that old thinking and aim first and foremost at trying to completely reverse cure if possible, but certainly completely reverse and put into long-term remission the type 2 diabetes, because that's the thing that really adds years to our life. And that, for some people, is going to be successful with life change and 
I applaud that and we want that to happen. But for many people, it's going to require metabolic surgery and life change. <laughs> but that combination is far safer, far more successful than continuing to manage it with the medicines and control the number. And if we could just get more people onto that idea that that should be the goal, uh, then I think we'd see a lot of people add a lot of years to their lives and we'd see a lot less foot amputations and blindness and kidney failure and heart attacks. So, uh, so I think that's the main, that's the main mission. We're, we're getting there, you know, 10 years from now, I think, uh, if someone walks in and gets this diagnosis, I hope that that is the conversation and the doctor says, well, let me tell you today, we got these medicines we can fall back on, but you know what, we're going to aim at trying to reverse this thing completely. It's going to take a big effort on your part. And if it needs it, we've got this metabolic surgery and we're going to try to just have this disease completely gone and reversed before we fall back on just managing with medications. <laughs> I was just, as you were speaking there, um, and I don't know why, Dr. Sassy, it just come into my mind when you was talking about the two, the two sort of key, uh, I don't know if elements is the right word, but the T, the sort of two attacking fronts, a boxing metaphor came into my mind of sort of jab, jab, bang. Um, and for me, if I can, I'd, I'd like to close on saying, um, yeah, let, let's knock diabetes out completely. Let's not mess around mm -hmm. with it. Let's not just jab it. Let's just coax it in with a jab and then let's really put it to bed once and for all. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> okay. Well so, put. Um, so how can people uh, find out more, Dr. Sassy, about, um, you know, your work? How can they contact you or, um, you know, dig a bit deeper around uh, metabolic surgery and type 2 uh, diabetes in general? Oh, sure. Um, well, there's a website called uh, diabetesreversalfacts.com. Uh, that's the facts about reversing diabetes and diabetesreversalfacts.com. Um, that's a good place. Uh, I'll have uh, books on Amazon and uh, you can find me at sassysurgical.com as well. So pretty easy to locate more info. Super. Listen, Dr. Sassy, it goes without saying, to say I've enjoyed it is one half of the coin, but I think more importantly, it's it's there's been some great shares in there uh, from from yourself, particularly around these these insights around um, type two diabetes in general, and certainly the metabolic surgery um, that you know, and these new these new ways forward, and that can only be good. So I thank you sincerely for that. Thank you. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. What a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, the conversation. Excellent. So there we have it, listeners. Um, Dr. Kent Sassy from Nevada in the USA. And until next time, I think it's very appropriate to say stay healthy. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.